Chapter Thirteen of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. War by Pierre Lotti. Translated by Marjorie Lowry. Chapter Thirteen. An appeal on behalf of the seriously wounded in the East. June, nineteen fifteen. The Orient, the Dardanelles, the Sea of Marmara, the mere enunciation of these words, especially in these beautiful months of summer, conjures up images of sun-steeped repose, a repose perhaps a little mournful because of the lack of all movement in those parts, but a repose of such durable melancholy in the midst of so many remembrances of great past destinies of humanity, which, throughout these regions, slumber, preserved under the mantle of islam but lately on this peninsula of gallipoli with its somewhat bare and stony hills there used to be in the winding folds of every river tranquil old villages with their wooden houses built on the site of the ancient ruins their white minarets their dark cypress groves sheltering some of those charming gilded stele which exist in countless numbers as every one knows, in that land of Turkey, where the dead are never disturbed. And it was all so calm, all this, it seemed that these humble little Edens might have felt sure of being spared for a long time yet, if not forever. But alas, the Germans are the cause of the horror that is unchained here today, that horror without precedent, which it is their genius to propagate as soon as they have chosen a spot wherein to stretch out their tentacles, visible or concealed. And it has become a most sinister chaos, lighted by huge flames, red or livid, in a continuous din of hell. Everything is overthrown in confusion and ruin. The ancient castles of Europe and Asia are nothing more than ruins, writes to me one of our old Zouaves, who is fighting in those parts. It is to me unspeakably painful to see those idyllic landscapes harrowed by trenches and shells, the venerable cypress trees are mown down, funeral marbles of great artistic value are shattered into a thousand fragments, if only Stamboul at least may be preserved. There are trenches, trenches everywhere. To this form of warfare, underground and treacherous, which the germans have invented the turks like ourselves have necessarily had to submit and so this ancient soil the repository of the treasures of antiquity has been ploughed up into deep furrows in which appear at every moment the fragments of some marvel dating from distant unknown epochs and at every hour of the night and day these trenches are reddened with blood with the blood of our sons of France, of our English friends, and even of those gentle giants of New Zealand who have followed them into this furnace. The earth is abundantly drenched with their blood, the blood of all these allies, so dissimilar, but so firmly united against the monstrous knavery of Germany. Opposite, very close, there flows the blood of those Turks, who are nothing but the unhappy victims of hateful plots, yet who are so freely insulted in France by people who understand nothing of the underlying cause.
They fall in thousands, these Turks, more exposed to shrapnel fire than our own men. Nevertheless, they fight reluctantly. They fight because they have been deceived and because insolent foreigners drive them on with their revolvers. If on the whole they fight none the less superbly, it is merely a question of race. And the simplest of them, who have been persuaded that they had to do with only their Russian enemies, are unaware that it is we who are there. On this peninsula we occupy a position won and retained by a force of heroism. The formation of the ground continues to render our situation one of difficulty, and our tenacity still more worthy of admiration. Our position, indeed, is dominated by the low hills of Asia, where the forts have not yet all been silenced. There is therefore no nook or corner, no tent, no single one of our field hospitals, where doctors can attend to the wounded in perfect security, absolutely certain that no shell will come and interrupt them. This terrible void France desires to fill with all possible dispatch. With the utmost haste, she is fitting out a great hospital ship, which the Red Cross Society has offered to provide at its own expense with three hundred beds, with linen, nurses, drugs, and dressings. This life-saving ship will be moored in front of an island close to the scene of battle, but completely sheltered. Steam and motor launches will be attached to it to fetch those who are seriously wounded, and bring them on board day by day, so that they may be operated upon and tended in peace before infection and gangrene set in. How many precious lives of our soldiers will thus be saved! It must be understood that the stretcher-bearers of the ship will bring back likewise wounded Turks, if there are any lying in the zone accessible to them, and this is only fair give and take, for they do the same for us. Some Zouaves who are fighting there wrote to me yesterday, The Turks are resisting with unequalled bravery. This all the newspapers of Europe admit. But our wounded and our prisoners receive excellent treatment from them, as General Gourand himself announced in an order of the day. They nurse them, feed them, and tend them better than their own soldiers. And here is a literal extract from a letter from one of our adjutants. I fell, wounded in the leg, beside a Turkish officer more seriously wounded than myself. He had with him emergency dressings, and he began by dressing my wound before thinking of his own. He spoke French very well, and he said to me, You see, my friend, to what a pass these miserable Germans have brought us. If I dwell upon the subject of the Turks, it is not, I need hardly say, because I take a deeper interest in them than in our own men. No one will insult me by such a reflection. No. But as for our own soldiers, does not everyone love them already? Whereas these poor fellows are really too much misjudged and slandered by the ignorant masses. Spare them as soon as they hold up their hands, said a heroic general, brought home yesterday from the Dardanelles, covered with wounds. He was addressing his men in a proclamation admirable for the loyalty of its tone. Spare them, he said. It is not they who are our enemies. So then, the great life-saving ship, which is about to be sent to those parts, is being made ready to sail in all haste. But the Red Cross Society have herewith taken upon themselves a heavy responsibility, 
and it will be readily understood that they will need money, much money. That is why I make this appeal on their behalf to all the world. So much has already been given that it is an earnest wish that still more will be forthcoming, for with us charity is inexhaustible when once the noble impulse stirs. I would ask that help may be given very soon, for there is need of dispatch. How greatly this will change the condition of life for our dear soldiers! What confidence it will give them to know that if they fall, seriously wounded, there is waiting for them a place of refuge, like a little corner of France, which is equivalent to saying a corner of paradise, and that they will be taken there at once. Instead of the miserable makeshift field hospital, too hot and by no means too safe, where the terrible noise never ceases to wreck aching temples, there will be this refuge, absolutely out of range of gunfire, this great peaceful ship, open everywhere to the good, wholesome air of the sea, where at last prevails that silence so passionately desired by sufferers, where they will be tended with all the latest improvements, and the most ingenious inventions by gentle French nurses in white dresses, whose noiseless footfall disturbs no slumber nor dream. End of chapter 13